0: Welcome to TheHorse.com's Ask the Vet Live. I'm your host, Michelle Anderson, digital editor of TheHorse.com. Today our topic is mosquito-borne disease, which is sponsored tonight by Merck Animal Health. We're joined by Dr. Gary Magnesian and Dr. Craig Barnett. Dr. Magnesian is a chair of emergency medicine and critical care at the University of California School of Veterinary Medicine in Davis and he's the Chief of Neonatology and Critical Care at the teaching hospital there. He's also board certified in internal medicine, emergency and critical care, and clinical pharmacology. Dr. Burnett is a Senior Equine Technical Services Veterinarian with Merck Animal Health. Welcome, doctors.
1: Thank you, Michelle.
0: So to, for tonight's topic, we've received hundreds of questions. Uh, we're gonna try to get to uh, as many as possible. Uh, The overall topic is mosquito-borne disease, but right now West Nile virus seems to be on everyone's mind as more human and equine cases of those across the country and uh, the mosquitoes are out. Uh, You have a live console in front of you where you can send in questions live. If you could just give us a few minutes to get started before you start sending those in, that would be great. We're going to be covering vaccinations and uh, immunity to these diseases to start off with, and then we're going to go into some uh, general health care and preventative measures. Okay, so we have our we to get started. Okay, so we're going to start out with Dr. Barnett. Uh, can you tell us what the most common mosquito-borne diseases are that our horses get, especially here in the U.S.?
2: Sure, uh, Michelle. Can you hear me? Can everybody hear me? Okay. I guess I'll ask first. Yep, you're can there. You hear me? Okay. Okay. Mosquito-transmitted uh, diseases most common to the horse uh, are West Nile virus, of course. That I'm sure everyone's heard about Eastern Equine Encephalomyelitis, also abbreviated EEE, Western Equine Encephalomyelitis, WEE, and Venezuelan Equine Encephalomyelitis. I think we primarily want to focus on West Nile virus and Eastern equine encephalitis because we don't see Western equine encephalitis that much, and it's not near as, as severe as Eastern and West Nile. And Venezuelan equine encephalitis has not been here in the United States for for well over 20 years. Uh, so we, it's the most common that we think about, the most serious, are West Nile virus and, and uh, Eastern equine encephalitis virus. So both of these diseases are caused by uh, viruses. They infect the horse's central nervous system, the brain, and spinal cord. Uh, as the name, uh, as the name uh, E-E, Eastern Equine Encephalitis implies, it's more commonly seen in the eastern U.S. Although there's a wide geographic distribution of this disease, West Nile virus, of course, has been here in the United States since 1999, first arriving in New York, and then such. since then, spreading, of course, across the entire United States. Uh, with some serious health consequences to both humans and and horses, um, so that's kind of. And I guess that, I believe you. Did you ask me about clinical signs? Yeah, I don't well, remember if that was in the question.
0: Signs for those.
2: Well, uh, so the the the, the uh, birds are the reservoir for this for these viruses. The mosquito bites the bird, becomes infected with the virus, and then bites the horse, the human. Um, so that's how it's transmitted, the uh, clinical signs are, are quite variable, um, but often include fever, depression, anorexia, uh, muscle fasciculations, which essentially is muscle twitching, uh, change in mentation, uh, drowsiness often occurs, uh, weakness, uh, some of these horses will do what we refer to as propulsive walking, they just kind of stumble and will continue to push and walk forward. Uh, ataxia and incoordination is common. And in more severe cases, uh, we end up with recumbency or the horse completely down, and on occasions, unfortunately, death. Okay.
0: And Dr. Magdesian, we have a question that came in from Joe, who is in Paris, California. And Joe wants to know how the crow is involved in transmitting West Nile virus. And is the crow our only uh, concern as far as birds that are passing this? along to mosquitoes which are passing it to our horses?
1: Um, The the crow is involved in that um, many species of birds, so it's not just crows, there are many different species, uh, will develop what's called a significant viremia, which means they have a a lot of virus that's circulating in their blood. And then the mosquitoes bite uh, these birds that have a lot of virus circulating And the mosquitoes become contaminated with the virus, and then they'll go on to uh, bite either a person or a horse or some other species that then act as what we call dead-end hosts, which means they can get illness and sickness from the mosquito transmitting the virus to them, but they don't act as a potential source of virus for other horses or other people. They don't get enough virus in their blood to to act as a, a source of spread of the disease.
0: Okay. So Joe is also asking in her question if horses can get West Nile through feces or by drinking the same water as another horse that might have West Nile virus. Is that a way that this disease is spread?
1: No, they they, they cannot get West Nile that way. The only way a horse can get West Nile is is from a mosquito bite.
0: Okay. And Dr. Burnett, we have another question about whether or not humans can get or give West Nile virus to their
2: horses. Uh, no. I mean, as I believe Dr. McNeese has just alluded to, horses and humans are both what we refer to as dead end hosts. And what that means is once the human or the horse becomes infected with this virus, as a general rule, the virus doesn't replicate. In the, in the horse or the human to high enough levels uh, in the bloodstream, which is referred to as viremia. So horses and humans don't get high enough viremia or virus in the bloodstream to then subsequently uh, infect a mosquito that would bite them that that mosquito could transfer it on to another human or horse. So the horses don't have enough virus in their bloodstream nor do humans uh, to infect a mosquito to the level to transmit it to another individual.
0: Okay. So we have a question for you, Dr. Magnesian, and it's from Marcy, and she's in New York, and she's asking about the symptoms, which we've already gone over, of West Nile, but she wants to know also what is the incubation period once the horse has been bit by a mosquito that's infected, and how is the disease diagnosed and then treated? Can you answer her question?
1: Yeah. So the incubation period um, is uh, generally considered to be one to two weeks, and um, the, the main signs, again, are uh, lethargy, uh, being off feed, being depressed, and then a variety of neurological signs, including muscle fasciculations, um, an incoordinated gait, weakness. And then about uh, a quarter of the horses will have a fever. Oftentimes, oftentimes the fever is missed by the time the other signs show up. It's diagnosed with um, a blood test that's called a capture ELISA that looks for an antibody called IgM that's specific to that virus. And then the the treatment, uh, the treatment is actually primarily supportive with anti-inflammatories and by that I mean we usually use flunixin and megalamine, which is the drug in banamine as an anti-inflammatory. And then the horses um, require a lot of supportive care. Oftentimes, they either are unable to or unwilling to eat. They're not feeling well enough to eat and drink, so they get dehydrated. And some of those horses need IV fluids. Um, Some of the horses spend a lot of time down on their side um, or they're weak and, and can't get up very easily. So they need to have very thick bedding, and they need to have human assistance to safely move them from side to side. If they can't get up, some horses need to be managed in a sling, um, which is a device that's used to support the horse's weight. And then in addition to that, um, there are a few specific treatments that we use. One of those is um, plasma that contains antibodies against the West Nile virus. And that hasn't been studied extensively, but there's some preliminary research in a laboratory setting that perhaps uh, antibodies can help um, fight off the virus. And so oftentimes we'll administer this plasma, which is harvested from a plasma donor that has been vaccinated uh, very well vaccinated against West Nile and that donor horse has a lot of antibodies against the virus and then we'll use that plasma that's harvested from that donor in the patients to give them some antibody against the virus. And then there are some some other um, uh, sort of what we would call preliminary treatments that are not, not well studied at this point but are sometimes used and those would include uh, things like interferon occasionally is used in some severe cases. Um, horses that are down, sometimes they're administered um, steroids to help with inflammation in the neur- neurologic system. Okay. So that's, that's the, the main um, treatment protocol. Again, it's primarily supportive and then we use some of these ancillary treatments to help fight off the virus.
0: Okay. So, Dr. Burnett, we have a question from Melissa in Michigan, and she wants to know how far in advance the West Nile vaccine needs to be given to a horse before mosquito season.
2: Uh, that's a good question. This, uh, what we refer to as uh, protective lag time is the time from vaccination, so we consider the horse to, to expect protection consider the horse to hopefully be protected. And then somewhat, that depends on if this is the horse's primary immunization, I mean, being the the first time the horse has ever been exposed to the vaccine, or if it's a booster vaccination. All the current West Nile virus and Eastern cephalomyelitis, West Nile virus vaccines require two doses, space three to six weeks apart for primary immunization. In other words, the first time the horse gets vaccinated, they need two doses. Uh, and, and uh, the, the second dose, sometimes people just oh, just don't give the second dose or forget to give the second dose, but the second dose is critical uh, because although the, the one dose would provide some degree of protection, that protection would be very limited and, and short duration. So to get to the answer to the question, after the primary series of two doses, it would be reasonable to expect protection uh, seven to 14 days after the second dose. Um, Now, after the primary series, and you're just coming back to give the horse a booster dose, um, either every six months or every 12 months, depending upon the risk of disease for that individual horse, then again, we would expect reasonable protection within 7 to 14 days, and possibly even sooner after that booster dose. Um, Mm -hmm. We need to remember that uh, horses, their immune systems are different, and they don't all respond to vaccination in the same way. Uh, so just like with people, the response to vaccination for individual horses can be quite variable from one horse to another. Uh, okay. But for the most part, after a booster dose, 7 to 14 days or sooner.
0: We have another question for you, Dr. Burnett. It's from Lori in Connecticut, and she wants to know what the efficacy of the triple E vaccine and the West Nile vaccine is. Um, do you have that, those numbers?
2: the efficacy of Eastern equine, super and West Nile
0: virus?
2: Yes. I don't have the specific numbers in front of me, but licensing uh, efficacy studies and epidemiological studies. That, when I mean say epidemiological studies, I'm talking about studies looking at the incidence of disease in populations of vaccinated and unvaccinated horses. Uh, both the efficacy studies that are submitted to the government for licensing and the epidemiological studies looking at the incidence of disease support that these vaccines are highly efficacious. Uh, it's only on very rare occasion do we get reports or see clinical disease in horses that have been vaccinated. Most of the reports of clinical disease for West Nile and Eastern are either in horses that have not been properly vaccinated or horses that that haven't been vaccinated at all.
0: Okay. Uh, we have a question for Dr. Meg. Magnesian and it's from Robin who's in Northern California she's probably close to UC Davis up there Uh, she wants to know if by vaccinating her horse with the rabies vaccine the West Nile vaccine and a five-way that she's getting from her local feed store if her horse is going to be protected from most common mosquito-borne diseases Dr. Magnesian Dr. Magnesian are you with us well, we'll go ahead and and send that question over to Dr. Barnett.
2: So the the, the question was again that they, they're giving their horse a five way shot that they receive that they get from the feed store. Is that right? Yeah. That so the, the, the five Sorry, way. Sorry, you
1: repeat the question?
0: Yeah, Robin's question is that she's giving her horse a five way, a rabies and a West Nile. Is her horse protected okay. from from the mosquito borne diseases that that could uh, her horse could contract?
2: Yes. Yeah. Yes, for the five the five way vaccinations. Uh, when they say four way, five way, that's just talking about the number of antigens in those in that vaccine. When I talk about antigen, okay, the West Nile virus in a vaccine is an antigen. The Eastern Equine Encephalomyelitis virus killed virus in a vaccine is a specific antigen. So the five way vaccines, yes, those vaccines do contain both Eastern, Western, and or Eastern, Western, as well as West Nile virus. Um, Protection in those vaccines. So, is the horse protected, providing the vaccine's been stored properly, providing the vaccine's been administered properly, and providing the horse mounts a, an adequate immunological response to the vaccination? Yes, the horse would be protected.
0: Okay, and we have another I- question. And Dr. Magnesium, are you back with us?
1: I'm back. Sorry about that.
0: That's OK. Dr. Burnett jumped in and, and was able to answer our last question. Uh, but I have good. another one for you, and uh, it's from Janice in Maine. And Elise from Texas both asked a similar question. Uh, they want to know why we have a vaccine for West Nile virus for horses, but not for humans. Is it a different strain of the virus? Is that the reason, or is there another reason?
1: That's a really good question. Um, no, it's not because of differences in strain type. Uh, both humans and horses are susceptible to the same strains of West Nile virus. The difference has to do with the approval process in getting uh, vaccines approved. The FDA has much more stringent and lengthy approval process for human vaccines and so that's the reason it takes a lot longer um, for human vaccines to get approved, whereas uh, veterinary vaccines have a uh, means of being approved in a more expedited fashion particularly in um, urgent situations like West Nile okay.
0: and we have a question that just came in from Kathy in Florida from our live audience and Dr. Burnett I'm gonna send this over to you She she wants to know if her horse has received the vaccine every six months for several years if he's completely protected right now with this outbreak or perceived
2: outbreak for eastern cephalomylacinol virus, we would, we would assume that if that horse has been vaccinated every six months for several years, she's given that horse every opportunity, yes, to have adequate protection. So I would anticipate and expect that horse to be protected, providing, as I alluded to earlier, provided that, that the vaccine that was given to the horse had been stored properly and administered properly, and providing that the horse responded to that vaccine and mounted an immunological response. When we vaccinate horses, it's just I think mean, we just all need to remember that vaccination does not equal immunization and protection. When we vaccinate the horse, the horse has to develop an immune response to that vaccine, and it has to develop an adequate immune response to that vaccine to be protected. Fortunately, with the West Nile virus and the, and the Eastern Equine Encephalomyelitis virus vaccines, as a general rule, horses do develop good responses to vaccination, and horses again generally are protected. following
0: vaccination so dr Magnesian, we have a question from joanne in massachusetts and she's concerned because she has two horses that live at her barn that have gotten their vaccines every year um, but for some reason their owners didn't do it this year she wants to know do they have enough immunity built up to keep them safe this year or do they need a booster for west nile virus
1: yeah That's a really good question. So these are horses that have had vaccines in the past but are, are not current on their boosters. And really the the uh, vaccines are labeled to be used annually, meaning they should be given once yearly to keep the antibody titers in the horses at a high enough level to be protected. And the truth is we just don't know for sure how long horses will stay protected uh, at the longest and that that likely varies from one horse to another and so to ensure that all horses are protected they should all be vaccinated at least annually meaning once a year so i would recommend that those horses be boosted so that they're current and so that if they're exposed um, in the in the recent future that they'll have ample uh, antibody and immune response to fight off the infection
0: so we have an- another question from Susie, and she's in Nashville, Tennessee. And this is for you, Dr. Burnett. Uh, her horses were vaccinated in spring for West Nile virus. She's going to be doing a lot of trail riding in the middle of the state. She wants to know if she should go ahead and revaccinate before traveling to trail rides in her area this year.
2: Uh, it's another, another good question. And, and, you know, a lot of these questions and a lot of the decisions about vaccinations – are dependent upon the risk of disease exposure. Uh, as Dr. Magnesian alluded to, there's the current West Nile vaccines recommend a 12-month revaccination enroll on the label. However, there are certain situations with individual horses where uh, vaccine recommendations uh, need to be evaluated based upon uh, the risk of disease. And risk of exposure and risk of disease is one of the primary things we use to determine and help us evaluate how often a horse needs to be vaccinated or booster vaccinated. So in her situation, although the vaccine labels indicate 12-month vaccination intervals, uh, booster vaccinations prior to the 12-month period may be warranted, uh, depending on the incidence of the disease and the area where she's going to, and obviously then, of course, the potential for exposure to disease. Uh, And also in many parts of the country, six-month boosters, are commonly recommended due to increased viral activity and increased risk of disease exposure. So, she should to check with her veterinarian, discuss with her veterinarian, and also check and see about the area where she's going to, if there's a lot of mosquito activity going on, a lot of West virus activity and Eastern Equine, and myelitis activity going on in that area, then it sure might be justifiable to highly consider giving that horse a booster vaccination.
0: Okay, and we have a follow up question to that from Robin in North Carolina, and she wants to know that if her horse is well vaccinated, if it does contract West Nile, will the symptoms be less severe or the chance of survival greater?
2: Uh, that questions to me, or, or uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Generally, vac- yeah, ger- uh, generally, yes. Vaccinated horses, if they do succumb to disease. The vaccine, even if they're not completely protected, generally we see attenuation or lessening of severity of clinical disease in vaccinated horses compared to horses that have not been vaccinated. Okay.
0: Uh, Dr. Magnesian, we have a question from Cindy. She's up in Canada, and she wants to know to what extent horses can develop acquired immunity to mosquito-borne diseases, uh, particularly those that have... Been with us for number of years, and by those she means diseases such as West Nile virus. Do you have, do you have a response to that, Dr. Magnesian? Oh, and I think we may have lost Dr. Magnesian again. Dr. Barnett, would you be able to? I'm here.
1: I'm here. Oh, Sorry. Oh, good. <laughs> can you hear
0: me? Yes, I can. Um, did you did you hear the question?
1: Yes, I did. yep yeah. um, Horses can develop natural immunity. To West Nile virus from exposure, meaning if the horse is infected with the virus, it will mount an immune response um, and, and develop some degree of immunity, it's estimated that only about 10% or so of infected horses actually go on to develop clinical disease. So, for every one horse that shows clinical signs of West Nile, thought that there are nine others out there that are infected and uh, don't get uh, sick from it. They don't show clinical signs from it. And those horses will mount an immune response as well.
0: Okay. And Dr. Burnett, we have a question that came in from Margo in California, and she has a 30-inch mini horse. Should she be giving the full dose of these vaccines to her?
2: miniature? Yes. <laughs> yes, I, I usually recommend giving the full, Well, I do recommend giving a full dose to mini horses. Uh, sometimes on minis, I'll recommend dividing it up and giving half the dose in two different locations. Um, I don't have any scientific objective studies to substantiate that that uh, has any negative or positive effect, but I sometimes they'll Due to just smaller muscle mass, they'll have a tendency to have some local injections like soreness more prominent than adult horses. So if there's a concern about that, you can split it up. But they should get the entire dose as recommended on the label uh, because even though they're smaller, they're immune, you're stimulating the immune system. And I compare it to, oh, it's like vaccinating a Chihuahua or a St. Bernard, they're going to get the same dose of vaccine. So the same would apply to a mini horse. We will always want to go ahead and give the same full dose of vaccine.
0: Okay, that's good to know for all the the mini owners out there, and uh, we have a lot of them that uh, that visit thehorse.com. I have a question for you, Dr. Barnett, uh, from Kathleen, and she's up in Canada also, and she wants to know how, regarding household pets, she's seen research that shows that vaccines can be given every three years rather than annually. Is this the same with horses? Should they be getting them every three years instead of every one year? or
2: six months? Uh, No. Michelle, I'm sorry. Do you mind if I make one more comment about the minis? Oh, sure. Yes. I'm sorry. I just was thinking because I I just want to remind people that the minis are a little different in the fact that I I think sometimes we have to be really careful about overriding their immune system. I mean, we know that certain breeds of dogs are more susceptible to have adverse vaccination reactions or uh, adverse reactions associated with vaccination. And I think we have at least seen what indicates that this may also be the case with many. So I just always caution about giving them too many doses, too many vaccines all at one time. Okay. So now back to your original question. Do you want to repeat it or?
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and repeat it. It's from Kathleen, and she's saying that she's seen research that household pets, our dogs and pet, uh, dogs and cats, companion animals, are only needing to be vaccinated every three years. Is this the same in horses?
2: Oh, it's a good question. No, it's, it's, it's not. The uh, the, recommendations, uh, the recommendations in small animals, so those recommendations are often made based upon tidy, titer or antibody levels for the particular disease in that particular animal. So they'll pull a blood sample and look at the titer or antibody level that that animal has for that disease. Uh, for some diseases, titers or antibody levels are thought to, to correlate well with protection in other words, uh, for some diseases, if you have a high titer, uh, it's strongly indicative of protection. However, for many diseases, titers are not indicative of protection, and animals with high titers may still succumb to disease. So at least for now on the horses, we don't have the research to allow us to make the, that call. To make a rec- recommendation to extend vaccination intervals beyond what's on the label, we would need to get good scientific objective data to support those recommendations and at least at this time uh, we don't have that information available for any of the equine diseases or vaccines.
0: Okay. Well thank you. Our next uh, set of questions are about foals and West Nile virus and West Nile vaccination. Dr. Magnesian, uh, Patricia in Oklahoma wants to know if foals need a West Nile vaccine or do they get enough immunity from their dams? At what age do they need their own shots, including West Nile?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. And, um, and yes, foals do need to be protected against West Nile virus, um, just as adult horses. And the, the time, which means they do need to be vaccinated, but the timing of vaccination varies a little bit depending on whether the dam was vaccinated late in pregnancy. So I'll, I'll uh, describe two scenarios. The first would be a foal born to a vaccinated dam, meaning the mayor was vaccinated four to six weeks prior to her due date and uh... that this is assuming that the foal got enough colostrum to have uh, passively acquired those antibodies from the mares colostrum in other words the, uh... at at twelve to twenty-four hours of age the foal had a blood test that showed he absorbed enough antibodies um, from from the colostrum assuming that's the case then a foal born to a vaccinated mare Um, the recommendation is to vaccinate them for the first time at four to six months of age. And in contrast to adult horses where, um, as Dr. Barnett described, the series is uh, consisting of uh, two vaccines, the first time a horse is vaccinated. In foals, the American Association of Equine Practitioners is recommending a a primary series consisting of three vaccines. So, again, that full born to a vaccinated BAM would be vaccinated for the first time at four to six months of age. Then it would get a second vaccine four to six weeks later. And then the recommendation is to give a third vaccine at age 10 to 12 months. So again, that's four to six months of age. The second one is four to six weeks later and the third one is at 10 to 12 months of age. Now, the second scenario would be for a foal that was born to a mare that was not vaccinated or perhaps has an unknown vaccine history. Those foals should be vaccinated at three to four months of age for the first time. Then they should be vaccinated again four weeks later for their second dose, and the third dose would be eight weeks after the second so everything's moved up a little bit in the foal born to a non-vaccinated mother
0: and so we have a a question from Karen who's in Texas and she had a mare who wasn't vaccinated during pregnancy but was when her when the foal was a week old and the foal is now five months old so which vaccination schedule should she follow for for that baby?
1: Okay for that foal um, that was born to a mother that was not vaccinated during pregnancy but was vaccinated when the foal was 1 week of age we would consider that situation to be a non-vaccinated mare so that foal should get its first shot at 3 to 4 months of age the second shot 4 weeks later and the third shot 8 weeks after the second and the reason for that is is that uh after the first 24 hours of life foals are not able to absorb antibodies from the mare's milk. So they have to get that colostrum during the first 12 to 24 hours of life in order to effectively absorb it. So a foal that was a week of age would not absorb any antibodies, nor would the mare be putting a lot of antibodies in her milk at that stage. So again, we would consider that foal to be um, born to a mare that had not been vaccinated during pregnancy.
0: So we've already talked about the mini-horses getting the same dosage as a full-size horse. Do the foals also get the same dosage as the adult horses?
1: Yes. Uh, uh, the recommendation is that foals get the full vaccine. Um, again, as was pointed out, in, in uh, small foals or foals that are not heavily muscled, it is an option to divide the dose into two sites.
0: Okay. And, Dr. Barnett, we have a question that is from Catherine in California, and she has an 18-year-old quarter horse that has a reaction when vaccinated that includes hives and a swollen neck. She stopped giving him vaccines because of the reaction, but now with the West Nile uh, being on our mind, she's really nervous about her horse not being vaccinated against West Nile virus. What can you recommend for her?
2: Well, that's, she has a legitimate concern there because you know, she's got the potential, since the horse is known to have vaccine reactions, any time you give a subsequent vaccine to a horse known to have previously had reactions, you're setting the stage where that horse actually could have a worse reaction upon subsequent exposure to the vaccine. However, obviously with the current situation with West Nile virus, we sure want to try to protect the horses and it's definitely recommended to vaccinate, so it's a, she's in a tough situation. One thing I would consider, she definitely wants to work with her veterinarian in this case, and, and go over some different options with her veterinarian, um, and, uh, see, you know, see what are some of the options. For example, one thing I would consider, think about doing, I don't know if this horse had a reaction to just the West Nile vaccine, or if it had a reaction to a big combination vaccine. Uh, if the horse had a reaction to, a vaccine that had multiple antigens in it, maybe it wasn't the West Nile fraction or the West Nile antigen the horse reacted to. Uh, it could be reacting to the antigen, it could be have a reaction to the adjuvant, which is the chemical that's put in vaccines to help stimulate the immune system. It could be a reaction to a stabilizer in the vaccine or preservatives, uh, but one, what I would consider doing is talking to a veterinarian, consider maybe, uh, I would consider just giving the horse what we call a monovalent West Nile vaccine for example, the one that, that we market for animal health is called Equinol, and it just just has West Nile, nothing else in it. So that would be a consideration. Just give the horse West Nile; don't give it any anything else, and see if it. If, if, if it does. hopefully, it won't have a reaction. I would I would recommend that her veterinarian be there. The veterinarian may want to consider pre medding this horse uh, with an anti-inflammatory medication or an antihistamine prior to vaccination to. Uh, lessen the chances of a vaccine reaction. Also recommend that the veterinarian be there in case the horse has a severe vaccination reaction uh, upon the next time, uh, so that the veterinarian can treat the horse promptly and appropriately. Um, so so that would be some things to think about doing.
0: Okay, and Dr. Magnesian, do you have any follow-up on that or any advice for anyone who has a horse that reacts after vaccination?
1: I, I would agree with Dr. Barnett that um, uh, it, it, it is important to, to vaccinate that horse, um, uh, and, and pre-medding it would be a great way to go. I agree with that, antihistamines and anti-inflammatory medications, and having a, making sure that the veterinarian is, is uh, available after the vaccine to monitor the horse, or another option is to have the horse vaccinated at the hospital. Sometimes we'll have clients bring horses in to our hospital. Um, these are horses that have a history of, of reacting adversely to vaccines, so that we can pre-med them and then monitor them very closely for uh, 24 hours, 48 hours after the vaccine. Um, I agree also with uh, the recommendation of using a monovalent vaccine, and uh, along with their veterinarian, given the horse's history and what it what it reacted to previously. The other thing that um, somewhat new, and Dr. Barnett had mentioned this, I think, earlier in the the discussion was um, monitoring titers in horses and um, using using titers to help decide when vaccines should be given. The problem is we don't have concrete evidence to know exactly what titer level is protected at this point, Um, but that's something that's that's starting to be used to look at, um, horses, for example, in this scenario that have a history of adversity reacting is to follow their titers along over time and, um, try and and include that as another factor in when they should be vaccinated.
0: Okay. Um, Dr. Burnett.
1: Yes.
2: Do you have something to to comment? On, on those horses to also, uh, just to have one more thing because this is a serious thing when you have know, some of these reactions. So we want to, I think discussed appropriately or thoroughly. But another thing I recommend, given strong consideration to you on horses with known vaccination reactions, is discuss with your veterinarian every single vaccine you're given that horse and, and make sure that every single vaccine that could, there's a justification for uh, of the risk of acquiring disease and make sure that the horse needs all those vaccines. With these horses that have um, vaccine reactions, in certain situations, we sure might want to give strong consideration to eliminating certain vaccines. Um, an example would be you know, if a horse is in is an isolated situation on a farm, no other horses are around. Uh, in a situation like that, you might be able to eliminate influenza or herpes from that horse's vaccine schedule. So you know, we know we, most of them we want them to have tetanus, West Nile virus, and rabies, and eastern cephalomyelitis, but some of the other what we call risk-based diseases, such as flu and herpes and, and strangles, and those things you might want to consider taking out of the schedule.
0: Okay. Um, and we have another question for you, Dr. Burnett. Uh, it's from Sandy in North Carolina, and she had heard stories about giving West Nile vaccine to mares that were in full and it resulting possibly in uh, deformed foals or stillbirths and so on. She herself had a mare. She vaccinated her, and, and that mare lost the foal. So she has since then refused to vaccinate any mare that's in foal with West Nile vaccine. Her vet thinks she's being ridiculous, is what she says. Um, what can you tell her to ease her fears about vaccinating pregnant mares?
2: Well, first, any time a mare aborts a foal, and Dr. Magnesium is a a foal expert, so he may want to add to this, but I would strongly encourage getting an autopsy done if it wasn't done and try to get a diagnosis as to why that mare aborted. Um, So I don't know if the diagnosis was done, but as far as the West Nile virus vaccine causing abortions, these West Nile virus vaccines have been out since since 2000, so, so over a decade now, and pregnant mares are vaccinated. Uh, routinely, uh, hundreds of thousands of pregnant mares are vaccinated every, every year with these vaccines, and there have been no uh, confirmed uh, cause and effect relationship established. In fact, uh, when it occurred in Colorado, when the first vaccine was on the market, there was a big scare and concern about this very thing, and there was actually a study that was done, at, I believe at Texas a University, and they confirmed without a doubt that that vaccine did not uh, attribute or increase the risk of abortion. Now, I will say that abortion from vaccination—I'm not saying it can't occur—but I don't. This is at least these vaccines are killed virus vaccines, um, and also the West Nile virus is not an abortigenic virus, meaning that even if the horse gets West Nile virus disease, it generally does abortion isn't generally a sign that we see with this disease. But if a horse would have a severe systemic reaction to vaccination. And I can sure see where it may uh, subsequently have an abortion. Uh, but I think the the risk of horses developing West Nile virus disease or eastern encephalomyelitis virus or many of the diseases that we vaccinate pregnant mares for, I think the risk and consequences of not vaccinating far out, far, far outweigh the risk and consequences associated with any vaccine.
0: Okay. Dr. Magnesian, do you have anything to add to what Dr. Burnett has said?
1: I I would concur with that, and um, there's nothing specific about any of the West Nile vaccines that would make a mare abort. Um, uh, Vaccine-induced abortions can occur, though they're extremely rare, but they're not unique to one particular vaccine. They would just reflect a mare that's having an adverse reaction to being vaccinated, so a mare that may have an allergy to one of the components of the vaccine that then has an acute allergic reaction after the vaccine, that mare would potentially be at risk for boarding, but that's no greater uh, risk with any West Nile vaccines than it is with any, uh, any of the other vaccines that we use. So if there's a risk for allergy there, uh, if there's a risk for allergy with whatever vaccine it is. Um, and so I, you know, I think the the safety that the West Nile uh, vaccine provides far outweighs any of, of those risks. And... Um, uh, I could say from personal experience, I've, I have vaccinated my own brood mare year after year, uh, one month before her falling date with West Nile vaccine in order to make sure the foal was protected. So I, I, uh, stand behind my words, I guess.
0: Okay. Well, hopefully, Sandy will find some comfort in the information you guys have shared with her. Um, I have another question about vaccinations, and then we're going to move into some some management questions. We've received some management-related questions from the live audience, so hang on out there. We're going to address one more vaccination question, and that has to do with Joan from South Carolina and her 19-year-old thoroughbred that's off the track that was diagnosed with EPM and treated in 2000. 2011, uh, He recovered and has a slight limp, but her vet has recommended not doing the West Nile or the uh, the Eastern uh, encephalomyelitis vaccine. Hopefully I said that right. Um, and so should she go ahead and give her horse the vaccine or rethink that recommendation that her vet has offered? And Dr. Okay. Barnett, if you want to take that.
2: Sure. Um, Well, I would recommend that that she consult with a veterinarian in this situation because her veterinarian here, she is the person most familiar with this horse's specific health conditions and its needs and and potential problems uh, such as as an EPM relapse. However, considering the very significant increase in West Nile activity this year, I I would encourage her to to, uh, immediately consult with veterinarian, uh, I think, is the benefits of vaccinating uh, this horse, considering what's going on this year with West Nile virus, that the uh, benefits of vaccinating may very well outweigh any risk uh, that may be associated associated with the EPM relapse. Uh, So I would definitely have her recommend she consult with her veterinarian and express her concerns, and, and her veterinarian may... You know, considering the situation at hand, may have a, a different opinion, or at least can provide her um, the best recommendations and opinion about whether or not this horse should be booster vaccinated.
0: Okay, and we have a question that's come in live, um, and that's from Chrissy in Florida. Dr. Magnesian I'll toss this over to you. She wants to know if you have any products that you recommend or home remedies that would keep mosquitoes off her horses during evening turnout.
1: Yeah, the, um, the commercial, uh, fl- a lot of the commercial fly repellents actually also repel mosquitoes. A lot of the pyrethrin or permethrin products actually also repel mosquitoes. There are commercial products that are um, uh, made specifically for mosquito re- uh, repellent activity as well in the equine industry, so those are on the shelves at the, at the tax stores. But, really, any of the pyrethrin or permethrin fly sprays, fly ointments, fly gels, um, those will help to repel mosquitoes. Um, You know, mosquitoes tend to feed uh, in the evenings, and so those would be higher risk times. If it's possible to turn the horse out during the day, that that would be another means of reducing exposure to mosquitoes. Um, Keeping them indoors in a barn during uh, high periods or or periods of high feeding would be another um, means of trying to reduce exposure. Mosquitoes don't like turbulent airflow, so having fans in the barn um, uh, or fans on the stalls would also help to uh, minimize uh, mosquito bite exposure.
0: Okay, and we have a question that's that I think uh, is. This is a nice transition into, and it is from um, Deidre, and she's in Texas, and they're doing aerial or spraying for mosquitoes, and she's concerned about the sprays um, having a negative impact on her horses. Does she need to protect her horses from the sprays that are being used to control the mosquito populations? And if so, how should she minimize their exposure, Dr. Magnesium?
1: You know, the, the sprays have been deemed to be safe for use, and most of those sprays, to my knowledge, are either pyrethrin or permethrin-based, as we just talked about, um, the active ingredient in a lot of fly sprays. And so, in general, they tend to be very safe. However, uh, to minimize any contact uh, of their horse with the sprays, a uh, uh, good way to go, a safe way to go would be to house the horses indoors if that's possible in a barn or at least under shelters while the spraying is going on so that they have as minimal exposure as possible. The other thing is to cover up any um uh water troughs or water uh sources that the horses have during the springtime time. So it would behoove them to find out the day and time of the spraying and during that time, keep the horses indoors, if possible, under shelters, and protect the water um, during that time. But in general, they, they are uh, considered to be safe. And, and again, everything comes down to risk-benefit ratio. With these, these sprays, the benefit of reducing mosquito numbers far outweighs the, the risk of the spray.
0: Okay. And Dr. Burnett, we have a question from Robert, and he's in Virginia, and he has donkeys, and he'd like to know if donkeys are as likely as horses to contract West Nile virus. Do you have any information on donkeys and, and West Nile virus?
2: Yes. I mean, don- the equine species as, as a whole are susceptible to these, to these viruses, so we always recommend vaccinating donkeys and mules uh, for eastern cephalomyelitis and West Nile virus. 'cause they are susceptible to these diseases. There may be some variability in, in the susceptibility to the diseases and how real how they become, but they do definitely need to be vaccinated because they are susceptible. Dr. Magnesium, okay. I don't know if you have any particular experience there at the university seeing clinical cases of donkeys and mules?
1: I have not, my personally I have not seen it in donkeys and mules, but we don't have um a high concentration of those in our immediate area. So um I, I would agree with your comment that uh, equine species in general uh, are susceptible to virus and should be vaccinated. Okay. We
0: have a question that's come in from Nick, who's listening live right now, and Nick's in Virginia, and he wants to know, besides vaccination and, and what we've mentioned about spraying, uh, what else can owners do to prevent West Nile virus in their horses? Uh, Dr. Burnett?
2: Uh, one one key thing, and I don't recall Dr. Mamisha mentioned this earlier when he was talking about, you know, environmental things, and, but uh, avoid standing water
1: <clears throat>
2: and, uh, you know, dump, make sure that, because uh, the uh, mosquitoes uh, lay their eggs in, in stagnant standing water, and then those eggs develop into larvae and pupae and, and, of course, hatching to, to adults. Um, so, it's recommended that you that you clean or dump water tanks or clean water tanks at least once a week. Um, and any any areas that you have around where there's there's uh, maybe standing stagnant water. And if it's something like we were having a drought here in the Midwest right now, so we have a lot of creeks that just have little pools of stagnant water. Um, and if you've got a bad situation where you really can't clean it out, uh, there are chemicals that are, that are available uh in fact, they're actually uh, to kill the flies to kill the mosquito larva in the water. And they come in granular form, or they come in like a cake form. And you can put these in the in the water, and they'll kill the you know, kill the larva. It's a bacterium, so it won't harm the plants, and, and it doesn't harm the animals that drink the water. Uh, but it will kill the larva. Now, if you put these in these so in the granule form, these are called uh, I believe they're called bits. And then if it comes in a pressed cake form, and again, this is a bacterial insecticide, larval insecticide. If they also come in like a pressed cake form, and they call those dunks, <clears throat> mosquito dunks. Uh, if you are going to use those in your water tanks, it's recommended that you put, put, attach something to the mosquito dunk to uh, submerge it down in the tank so to keep it out of the reach of livestock. But those are very effective. Um, And I think it's already been alluded to putting the horses up at at dusk and dawn uh, using uh, fly repellents and insect uh, repellents. Uh, I have an automated fly uh, system in my barn, which which I think is is very effective, and I really like it, and it works very well. So if you have the the option to put something like that in your barn, I think it's very effective. Uh, Try to keep the lights off in the barn during dusk and dawn the most active time for mosquitoes. Fly sheets might help some to some degree, but I don't know how much how effective they will actually be against preventing mosquito bites. But that would be something else to consider.
0: Okay. Yeah, and I know I just did a survey around my own property, and was surprised by the places where I had standing water. the The wheelbarrow that I forgot about behind the garage, and and the bucket that was next to the barn uh, that had water in it. So definitely a good idea to go go around and and look for that standing water around your property this time of year. Um, uh,
1: I I might add that um, fish are another means of mosquito control for people who have really large water troughs that um, can't easily clean them out regularly, Uh, The gambusia or mosquito fish or goldfish are uh, uh, an effective means of uh, killing the larvae as well. Okay. Yeah, Um, that's an excellent
0: point. Yeah, and you have to keep everything all full, so those fish have plenty of water too. Uh, we have a question coming in from from Tina in Alabama um, and I may be speaking from experience on that <laughs> but uh, Tina in Alabama and she uh, wants to know if there's are any products that are like the spot on flea and tick products that we have for our companion animals uh, that you, we can use on our horses and do those work. Are you either one of you familiar with any spot on type products?
2: Well Actually, at Merck Animal Health. We have a product called Ultra Boss. I've used it quite a bit on my horses. It's, it does does have a actually it has a label for tick and then various flies and mosquitoes, uh, and it's it's labeled for an every two week application. Um, so uh, that you know the, there are and I'm sure there are other products out there like that, uh, but that's the one that I'm familiar with that does have a horse label claim on it. Uh, now on on, on occasion. Uh, the, the recommended dose for that particular product, the Ultra Boss, is 3 cc's for 100 pounds, so a 30 cc dose maximum. Um, but I make sure and tell people that if they're going to put it on the horses to uh, start, with, the directions will say just put it along the middle of the back. But my experience has been is if you put it along just along the middle of the back and the withers to the top of the croup or the top of the hip, that's too concentrated of an area for that chemical. And it's a permethrin product, and it, will, it sometimes will cause some irritation and a burning sensation, and even on a rare occasion, hair loss and blistering. So I recommend uh, spreading it out a little more and, and actually giving half the dose on one side of the midline, starting at the top of the pole, going down the side of the neck and across the back, withers, and across the back, 15 cc's on each side for the adult horse. And again, there may be other products, but that's just one that I'm familiar with that I use uh, in horses that are outside a lot. So Dr. Just health control.
0: Dr. Uh, Magdesian, have you uh, came across any of those products?
1: You know, I, I haven't. I haven't, per I haven't found one that um, has that kind of, of residual activity that I would trust for mosquito repellent activity specifically. So, personally, I'm a fan of, of the twice daily fly spray with the pyrethrin permethrin product uh, just before dawn and dusk if possible.
0: Okay. Well, thank you. And that did come in. That question was live from Tina uh, in Alabama. And I just want to let everyone know who's listening live that we have about five minutes left. So if you have any questions we haven't gotten to that you'd like to submit, go ahead and submit those now. Um, and I will continue on with some of our other questions here. And we have a question for you, Dr. Magdesian. Um from joy and she's in indiana and she wants to know if her horse can get west nile virus by drinking water with mosquito larva in it is that a concern
1: you know that's not really a concern um uh the larva can be infected with the virus and that's the means by which the virus overwinters for example but um, um there's no evidence that uh, larva can transmit the virus to horses if they ingest the larva. It appears that as part of the biology of the virus, it needs to go through the adult mosquito actually biting the uh, horse and uh, infecting the horse with the virus that way. So, so no, drinking larva, mosquito larva in a trough would not be a means of, of contracting West Nile virus.
0: Okay, and uh, Dr. Magdizian, we have another question, it's from Carol, and she's in Louisiana, and she has a five-year-old quarter horse that contracted West Nile virus as a yearling. Do you know if he will have any long-term effects from that?
1: Um, the, the long-term effects seem to be neurologic uh, residual neurologic signs. In other words, a uh, certain percentage of horses will have neurologic signs for many months to years after they recover. And there have been a couple studies looking at them. One of the studies, about 20% of the horses had residual neurologic signs. And in in another study, up to 40% of them had some residual neurologic signs as far as six months out, and they didn't follow them any longer than that. And a lot of these were mild. Um, they might have been mild behavioral changes. Um, They might have been mild gait abnormalities, um, mild incoordination. But there haven't been any long-term studies beyond that. So uh, falling horses out for many years, that that has not been studied. But that would be the main um, residual effect. And if her horse does not have any neurologic signs that are left over from that infection, there would not be any other long-term consequences. So it doesn't um, uh, make the horse's immune system any different uh, than, than otherwise, not immunocompromised or would not have uh, other physiologic consequences besides any persistent neurologic signs. In fact, it it likely would have long-term immunity against West Nile virus if it recovered from a natural infection.
0: Okay. Uh, We have a question for you, Dr. Magdesian. It's from Cynthia in Ontario, and she is concerned about horses that are coming from a New York barn, Um, and she is concerned about a horse in that area that, a uh, diet of triple E. Should she be concerned about horses coming into her barn and bringing that disease?
1: No, not not any more concerned than she should be with any new horse entering her property, uh, as far as good farm biosecurity, bringing in potential contagious pathogens that would be other than West Nile. Because again, uh, Dr. Burnett alluded to earlier in this discussion west nile virus is not contagious from horse to horse so even if the horse from new york had west nile virus in its system and and moved to her facility there is no way that her horses could get west nile from that horse even if mosquitoes bit that horse and then bit hers the virus has to come from birds via the mosquito uh, but uh, again, I get back to my first comment, which was good general farm biosecurity would would include having a quarantine paddock or a quarantine stall, a quarantine barn, where any new horses are housed for a two- to four-week period to make sure they're not bringing in things like strangles or flu or herpes, but West Nile would not be one of those.
0: Okay. evening on this topic. Uh, We had some more questions to get to, but unfortunately, we are are out of time. Um, So I want to make sure to thank everyone for listening, everyone for sending in their questions uh, so that we could talk about this topic. Uh, special thanks to Dr. Magdesian and Dr. Barnett, and also to our sponsor who brought this to everyone free, that's uh, Merck Animal Health. If you'd like to listen to the audio again, the podcast will be archived on thehorse.com, and you can get on there and search about these diseases and more to find uh, thousands of articles that will help you better care for your horses at thehorse.com. So thank you everyone, And good night.